Hey guys, I'm Caleb Giddings. And I'm Keith Finch. And this is the first episode of the Gunday Brunch podcast. Welcome. So, Keith, would you like to tell these people what we're doing here today? Absolutely. Since you and I are gentlemen who speak on the internet about firearms topics, you and I today are launching a gun blog uh, podcast. So Gunday Brunch is our new podcast brought to you with the uh, three sponsors, Aero Precision, DeSantis Gunhide, and, and Rocky Brass. That's the third one. So in this episode, we're actually doing a current event episode because we want to talk to you guys, you people out there listening to this, our inaugural episode about hot topics. And those two hot topics are the Supreme Court actually taking a gun rights case, which Pertner made me fall over, and the ongoing ammo crisis. So to lead off with the Supreme Court, uh, since you wrote an article about that for Gat Daily, which you guys can find at gatdaily.com, why don't you lead us in with some details on that case? Well, as we know, the last couple of years, we've been disappointed that the Supreme Court hasn't taken up a gun case. There have been a few that have come through their docket that they've kept pushing away, pushing off to the side and just say, you know, not right now. And I get it with the balance Um with the chief justice being kind of yeah, on the whole conservative topics, it made sense for them to keep pushing. However, we finally got a 6-3 or 5-4 majority, depending on how Chief Justice Roberts votes, and they've taken up a good topic. The topic at hand is shall issue concealed carry, which is a national level topic that we really can get behind. And uh, for those out there who don't understand the difference, being uh, that you're probably in a shall issue state right now, if you have a concealed carry license, the may issue versus shall issue concealed carry is not the rule of law across all 50 states. There are still states like California and like New York where the case is originating from that have a may issue standard for concealed carry, which means basically the state can choose for any reason under the sun to say you don't get your concealed carry license because you haven't shown quote unquote you know, cause or just cause or whatever their particular legal language is. So the so, Supreme Court taking the New York challenge and finally going to give us a national level decision on whether it's going to be may issue or shall issue as the standard. And so on, on that note, the number of states that are either shall issue or constitutional carry now at this point versus the number of states that are uh, may issue is there are nine may issue states, just nine. That's it. It is the extreme minority of states that use the may issue permitting system. In fact, there are double the number of may issue states have gone to full constitutional carry, obviously with the balance being some sort of shall issue uh, permit system. So why this case is important, and for people who want to know, it's the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett. Uh, the background details of the case are two guys applied for permits in New York State, and the permits were rejected by the state because they didn't show sufficient cause to need a gun, which is kind of the whole crux of the May issue system. The state may issue you a permit if they want to or if they don't want to. Uh, so these two guys sued the state. Uh, the 
case itself has had incredible broad ranging legal and financial support from FPC to, I know everyone's like, ooh, the NRA is bad. The NRA has supported this case both financially and uh, from a legal standpoint. So it's received broad-based support across all pro-gun groups. And it's especially important right now at this time because we just had that case out of the Ninth Circuit where they basically said that there's no, that the Second Amendment doesn't uh, have an inherent right to bear firearms outside of the home, which is confusing to me because when I read the word bear, that doesn't mean walk around inside my house. But I'm not a lawyer, so clearly I'm not as smart as these people on the Ninth Circuit Court. No, I'm not a lawyer either. And when you look at the Ninth Circuit decision, the Ninth Circuit decision was based out of a case out of Hawaii. And Hawaii mm-hmm. has historically very restrictive firearms rights. And one of the things you'll notice out of the circuit courts, um, they'll, they'll play to the, the national strengths, the national averages sometimes, but in a lot of the cases, they tend to take the regional attitudes view on it. Absolutely. And basically it ends up being, oh, well, if it's really that important, the Supreme Court will take it away from us. And so I felt when I read the Ninth Circuit decision, that felt like, no, we're going to punt this to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will be the final arbiter of this, but we're not going to rock the boat and make the, uh, the powers that be in Hawaii really upset over this at this point in time. And they may have known that New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett was coming down the pipe to the Supreme Court. And basically that they could give this easy softball answer that made Hawaii happy in the meantime, knowing that it wasn't going to matter in the end anyway. Yeah, that's entirely possible. You know, the Ninth Circuit has been a source of some very strange decisions over uh, over the years. And to that point with Hawaii, especially Hawaii of the nine May issue states, Hawaii is one of them. And Hawaii is uh, May issue. And when you talk about May issue states, you have May. Issue, so this is not a widely known fact. So Massachusetts is a May issue state but it's relatively easy to meet the hurdles necessary to get a permit in Massachusetts. It helps if you've got a little bit of cheddar, but it's of of the May issue states using Mass as an example, it's easier to get your carry permit in Massachusetts than other May issue states. Uh, California is also a May issue state. California is this weird balkanization of patch of regulations because if you live in, say, uh, uh, whatever county San Francisco is in, Marin County, you, the odds of the county sheriff, because in California, the law is that the county sheriff decides who gets permits. So if you live in Marin County or Los Angeles County and you don't have a large campaign donation associated with your permit application, not that I'm saying that people would ever bribe someone oh, no. to no, get carry permits never, for never their security play. staff. Never, There's never, never pay play. It's never a thing. Those are just made up words. Yeah. So if you live in one of those counties, though, very difficult to get a permit. But what people don't understand about California is there is a large number of counties that are relatively rural and relatively conservative, where the county sheriffs will, in fact, issue permits almost on a shall issue basis. And that creates a very strange patchwork of, well, if I live in this county, I can get a permit, I can carry a gun. 
but that doesn't apply if you live in Los Angeles County, you get no carry permits. So it's so that's one of the problems with May issue is you can get balkanization with inside of a state where a county issues a permit and then another county won't issue a permit. Uh, you can have problems like New York, where even if you get a New York state concealed carry permit, that permit's not valid in New York City because New York State doesn't have strong preemption. And New York City is like, F you, we're going to have our own rules with our own even more complicated system where pay for play has never been an issue. And there's not documented instances of people bribing NYPD to get permits. That's never happened. But anyway, I digress. Um, Hawaii. Hawaii is functionally a no issue state. So it is, they are technically May issue because of uh, Heller and McDonald, but their May issue process is so Byzantine and so complex, it is functionally no guns. Uh, I found out from somebody who lives there that you have to have a ownership permit in Hawaii to have a black powder gun, which mm -hmm. if you live in America, you can buy in a blister pack at Dick's Sporting Goods. So... Yeah, so that's that, that is one of the big problems with May issue is it creates inconsistent standards. It's difficult for people to get permits. And obviously it denies people the ability to own a gun and or in some cases to carry a gun in the place where confrontation is often likely to happen, the public. That's one of those aspects of the May issue that was always the gotcha clause. And what California has now was what Michigan had uh, prior to 2001, where it was a May issue standard controlled by the county boards, and the county board, for any reason, could say yes or no. So you had county boards that were very pro-gun, that was like, all right, if your background's clean, you get the license, and then you had county boards that were like, nobody except the cops gets guns. So mm. there you go. And uh, looking at the various states that have no permit for residents, looking at all the rest of the states that have some form of shall issue, including those that have a permitless carry, they also have a shall issue standards uh, for reciprocity. I wrote in my article that this is a good step towards uh, a good solid legal step, not just, a, not just an ethical one, not just a moral one, but a good solid legal foundation to push toward national reciprocity. Because if we get national shall issue, national reciprocity is the next hurdle that can potentially be challenged and on a very solid legal basis. I mean, to be fair, I think national reciprocity should already exist under the Full Faith and Credit Act, which if you guys don't know, that's why you can take your driver's license from South Carolina and drive around Texas without getting pulled over. Well, assuming you're not doing anything crazy in your car, mm -hmm. like going 102 miles an hour uh, in a 45 zone. Um, on the topic of this case, so you mentioned, you know, we have a uh, a moderate, I'm going to use the polite term, a moderate justice in the uh, Chief Justice Roberts, and then we have what are probably, I would say, probably two lock votes in Kavanaugh and Barrett, so there's three, there's, well, there's two locks, then we have the other two conservative justices who are probably safe good votes which gives us best case scenario i think for this as and something i talked about in the other video is a sweeping 6-3 ruling that says may issue permit systems are unconstitutional do you think that's going to happen 
I would more realistically expect this to go 5-4. And I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to be Roberts or another justice that sides with the, the holdout states. I think this one will go our way. It really depends on how big a pissing match the Supreme Court wants to get in with the administration right now, knowing they have to ride it out for three more years at minimum, and that this is a big deal. So there's a lot of, uh, there shouldn't be because it's the court system, but obviously there there is a lot of politics that are swirling around this, but I would expect this one to lay down 5-4. If I were to pick someone, it would be Roberts who dissents, but it could have been, it could be another justice, but I still imagine it coming down on us getting a form of national shall issue. We could see a 6-3 with a, a softer decision in that shall issue may stick around, but they have to come up with a more objective standard than a a burden of proof. So that's kind of what, if I was wearing my prognosticator hat, uh, that's what I actually think is the most likely is uh, some sort of, not a, so a broad May issue is unconstitutional. I don't think that's going to happen specifically because I don't think the Supreme Court wants to rock. The, the Supreme Court historically has not wanted to rock the boat too much us on gun cases. If you look at Heller, Heller was a very narrow decision. If you look at McDonald, McDonald was a very narrow decision and it kept the scope of it limited to essentially kind of that issue and how that would, would be applied. So I think what we made my crystal ball most likely, and I would love to be wrong and have this go sweeping nationwide uh, shall issue. But I think what they, what is most likely is exactly that. They will say that the vagueness of the New York state standard is in fact unconstitutional and it needs to be revised in a way that is clear for all applicants to understand what the burden of proof is and keep May issue around, but make it so that May issue can't be subject to uh interpretations like which then sort of turns it into shall issue just more complicated shall issue essentially is what i think may happen like instead of of what those counties in california are realizing where it it is a may issue standard but there there is a burden of proof there is an objective standard for what you need to show up with in order to make this work And if you look at other decisions along those lines and other uh, rule changes we've seen, that that coincides really nicely with the rule change the ATF made to the NFA process when they got rid of county signatures, county permission Mm -hmm. for NFA items, and they made it a county informative, a county informative document where you informed your local law enforcement uh, that you were getting an NFA item as opposed to getting their permission, because permission was highly subjective. Information was an objective standard. So yeah. I, I agree that we could we could see the softball approach on this very, very easily and get a 6-3 ruling or maybe even something like a 7-2 ruling, depending on what it it comes uh, down to. If I don't know which it, I'd it's that very have. narrow. I don't know if I'd rather have a softball 7-2 that like basically says, you can't do vague may issue but you can impose like because so like here's kind of what i'm thinking right so your softball six three or softball seven two would say you can't do may issue 
but you can do shall issue, but you can add all of these things onto your shall issue as long as it's clear. So then you would end up with states like New York where they would be like, okay, well, you have to go get a class and then you have to go get an insurance package and then you have to go, you know, say three Hail Marys and they would say, but it's objective. So that's why this is okay. I'm not sure if I would rather have that, that clearly says may, that, you know, says you can't do may issue, but you can do all this crap on, on a shall issue permit or if I'd rather have a more broad sweeping 5-4, I don't know. I, I, I would actually have to sit down and think about which one of those is gonna set the table better for further challenges. It, it, would really, it would really depend on us digging into just how much political capital, how much judicial capital are they gonna burn if they do a 5-4 with a hard win early that we might not be able to take something up the court again later just because that political capital has been burned because I think that, and again, it's the, it's the safe move, judicially speaking. I think if we got that 6-3, where shall issue is the standard, but the states can Im impose whatever objective criteria they want, and then individual court cases can be taken against those objective criteria to say, all right, this individual rule is a pile of crap. That's, that's again, kind of the path it took here in Michigan. Michigan mm -hmm. went from that may issue standard to a shall issue standard in 2001, but there were still some goofy things in the shall issue standard that were like, yeah, well, you know, they, they've got a gotcha clause in it. Well, a few years later, they removed the gotcha clause. A few, a few years later, they ended up axing slowly one little ridiculous rule after another until we're sitting in a fairly run-of-the-mill, fairly standard shall issue that's pretty much Midwest wide. Even Illinois, who was the last state to grab a permit system at all, went to a shall issue that's really similar to the rest of the Midwest. And I think they did it because they saw the writing on the wall for May issue. They couldn't jump into a May issue standard after being told uh, at the court equivalent of gunpoint that you're the last state to have any permitting process. Even Hawaii, who doesn't give them away, on paper does. Mm -hmm. So get yeah. on board. Yeah. And they want I, I, standard. I think it'll be interesting for us to see what happens. You know, obviously they're not going to hear arguments on this until the fall. So it's a long ways away. And I don't, and the thing that I worry about from the, po the purely political side of this, which again should not affect the court, but hey, it's 2021. Why not play fuck fuck games with the nation's highest court? Um, is I want, I, I'm very, I am not as pessimistic as a lot of people. I don't think that President Biden wants to pack the court. I don't think that uh, Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema or um, John Tester, I think is the guy in Montana. I said Wyoming in another video and somebody told me that was wrong. So anyway, those guys are three fairly moderate Democratic senators and I don't think they want to kill the filibuster. And I don't think they want to pack the court. But of all of the current laundry list things that terrify me the most, packing the court is number one on that list because one, it completely delegitimizes the Supreme Court as an institution and that terrifies me. Uh, but also I just, it, I mean, it, that's what it is. It destroys the Supreme Court as an institution and it means that any future cases are just gonna be partisan entirely, which is why I'm 
I, I don't remember the president's timeline for his executive counsel on the Supreme Court, but I think it's over and will deliver its recommendations before the court starts hearing cases this fall, which will also set a lot of the tone for that political press, for that, you know, that political capital that we're talking about. Because if they come back and basically say, you know, the court's not great, but it's nothing's perfect. So let's probably not screw with this institution that's been around for 200 years. Uh, then I think we're more likely to see a more aggressive solution to this than if they come back and say, burn it down, burn it all down. <laughs> like, yeah, 13 justices sounds great. Yeah, sure. But then you turn into friggin' Venezuela because then. Yeah. You have 13 justices, but then the next president says, oh, these justices are corrupt, so I'm going to disband the Supreme Court and declare executive power. But then the Supreme Court says, no, the president's corrupt, so we're going to vote uh, vote the president out, and nobody gives a crap anymore because it's all, you know, banana yeah, republic it's, shit. It's for the next guy to land the next rule, and it turns in, I don't think, I don't think the worst of the fear-mongering out there is like, oh, he's absolutely going to back the court. And I'm like, that's not a decision they're going to take on lightly. Because they are very, very well aware that anything they do can be flipped on its head. Anything that they do to someone can be done back to them. So that's why changing rules like this is, it's never undertaken lightly except by absolute fools. And as, as much as we'd like to pretend that these people are all blithering idiots, they're not. Not in their own wheelhouse, not in their own game of politics. No, they know trade of power. Well, that's why, you know, I guess we're going to do a political episode. That's why, you know, you have guys like Joe Manchin, as an example, who is a Democrat from what from the reddest of red states, West Virginia, like you don't get much redder than West Virginia. Uh, and he has won a gazillion elections there. And he is the leading voice of like, hey, maybe let's not get rid of the filibuster because we have the tiniest of majorities right now there's no guarantee we're going to win in 2022 and maintain our majority in the house so maybe let's not you know destroy this tool that we have used to our advantage in the past as well which you know i never thought i would say thank god for joe manchin but here we are what a world it, what a crazy world we live in um a little bit nuts here little bit. little bit nuts hey speaking of nuts how are animal prices <laughs> oh it's a it's a sad sad world ammo prices wise i i know i've looked recently i'm pretty sure you've looked recently because i've seen a post of you crying about 38 special or two but the best thing i can say about uh ammo prices right now is they appear to have plateaued which means it's very painful but it doesn't appear to be getting more painful so the good news, guys, is especially for online shoppers, is ammo prices have sort of leveled off uh, online, which is good because that means that there's ammo out there. And it's whatever you want too. like you have to be willing to look for it. And I have to caveat this because, you know, if you're willing to pay 75 cents a round for nine mil FMJ, you can get quality nine mil FMJ. For 75 cents a round shipped to your door. Or you can drive around to all your local big box stores and memorize their delivery timelines and cross your fingers and hope that you know a guy at the gun store for when they're going to get one in. And then maybe you can get it boxed for $25. 
But for some people, expediency and being able to have it delivered is nice. Uh, if you're shopping online, quality nine mils pretty much leveled off at about 75 cents a round. If you go on Gun Broker, and I strongly encourage you guys to do this, like for real, uh, I have never like recommended get a Gun Broker account before in my life. But if you want ammo and you don't care that you're paying 75, 80 cents a round, whatever for it, get a Gun Broker account. Go there and you can find all the ammo your little heart desires. Just it, you're gonna pay for it. That's where we're at right now. Is there's there is plenty of ammo. It's just way more expensive than it used to be, and I that's sort of a good thing because supply. It's the demand is still crazy, and uh, I don't know what you've been hearing, but what I've been hearing is 2023 ish for normalization, and that is contingent on. Uh, on, on political factors, like not getting blown out in the midterm elections, for example. That is jiving exactly with everything I'm hearing right now is it used to be deep 2022 for some normalization where we'd start to see a significant down arc on the prices and start getting back to not normal. I don't know if we'll ever see the golden, I, I won't even call it the normal because in 2019, we were in the golden age and we had no lot, idea a lot of it we were we were living life in the golden age of ammo prices and the golden age on a lot of modern firearm prices and we had no idea but seeing it normalize for like nine millimeter back down to you know 40 cents around or 35 cents around i think we'll see that again in 2023 is probably a pretty accurate assuming nothing insane happens which that's a wild assumption at this point, but seeing those right. seeing the prices depress again, back to normal, we could see it. We may see it faster. I don't think we'll see it faster just because demand is too high. If demand drops off significantly because people finally decide, you know what, $750 for a case of ammo is too much. I'm going to hold off. I'm not going to get as many cases and supply starts to stack back up again. We'll see a price decrease. It won't come immediately, and it's going to come in stages because the price increases have come in stages. Uh, manufacturers have had to jump the prices uh, to make sure that they can buy components. So it's going to have to step down to when their component prices drop again. We'll see base prices drop again, but we'll see some def we'll see some initial deflation back to probably in the fifty cents around range across a lot of the major calibers that Hopefully. everybody's shooting. We'll, we'll, we'll see it eventually. It, it's, ju it's just gonna take that supply drop off to get us back there in the short term, but we're not gonna see under 50 cents around, I feel, for a while. We're not gonna see it until the component prices start depressing again. And I'll be the optimistic voice because I remember pre-Obama uh, administration, Nine, you could I could walk into uh, Gander Mountain in Indianapolis and buy a box of federal nine mil ammo for like eight bucks a box. And then obviously the Obama election happened and things spiked and then it started to come back down, but then he got reelected and then Sandy Hook happened and things just went, which compared to this was nothing and we had no idea. Uh, we thought that was bad. Um, we thought that was that was the biggest blow up that would ever blow up bigly. Whoopsie. Yeah, we, we got that one Whoops. wrong. So but then after it took, you know, uh, after the uh, President Trump got elected, 
things dropped down. And then by 2018, you know, we had, you could buy nine mil for $8.99 a box again. So we had eventually recovered. But if you look at how long an on-ramp that, or how long that ramp was, it took almost 10 years for everything to actually level off to where it, like, if this hand is before Obama and this hand is uh, 2018, this was 10 years of time that things went like this. And then if you're listening to the audio only version of this, by the way, I'm drawing like a mountain with my hands um, and it's a very nice curve, but, and they eventually did level off. I think that we're probably in store for a very similar curve to that, where we'll be like this, we'll hit a peak, and then we'll start to level off, but we're going to get down to, but I, when I first started covering this issue, I thought for sure we would hit our peak. We would have hit our peak by now. I don't want to say that we've hit our peak yet. The prices have mostly plateaued, but there's enough weird stuff that could happen in the next two years that if we start to come back down if by mid 2022 ammo is 50 cents around again i'll feel pretty good about that i will feel very very good about that uh if we get through the midterm election and nothing crazy happens i think we'll start to get i think things will really start to taper off around then just in time for you know the next election cycle so right hey because we, we love flexibility and fluctuation in the market everyone loves wondering if their uh lack of buying ammo because you'll be able to get it tomorrow was the worst idea ever do you ever wish that you had picked a career field and a hobby that wasn't so inexorably tied to friggin' politics because i do a lot of the time oh i i do too it's it's like i i I'll give it this though. Um, there's rarely a boring day. That's a big fact. Sometimes I, I sit back and I go, I wonder what it would be like to not worry about Congress legislating your job out of existence. That must feel cool. That must be amazing. Like, wow, I'm just I'm just a home insurance sales guy. There will always be homes and they will always need insurance. I'm set. Nope. Right? <laughs> 30 days no. from now, you and I could be like, so how about them bolt action rifles Ooh, firearms journalism still technically exists i'm gonna go talk to hawkeye at chigachkuk about the latest fucking flint rifle <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness uh, gonna go well, gonna go check out the uh, renaissance fair there's a brand new section they just opened up where it's uh, colonial the the colonial firearms section and that's oh it that's all God. we got guys have you ever been so uh fun fact uh we both obviously know somebody who's been deeply involved in the ren fair community um and so when i was many many years younger i was really involved in the, the colonial reenacting community as well so like the dudes who dress up in like period garb from kind of that last of the mohicans pre um pre-revolutionary war period and I always thought that those guys and the Renfair guys should like interact because they're basically the same things from just two slightly different historical periods. One of them has guns. Yeah. One of them has guns, but it's very much the, it, it's that same vein of thought, man. It's that same, like, a lot of leather. This is really cool. Let's dress up like it and, and, you know, have our fun. 
let's be real it's basically it's not basically it is cosplay for people who would probably disdain cosplay it is yeah which also that applies to uh, the cow to single action shooting society which i do not hate on uh those guys every time i see them on like an episode of shooting usa everybody's having fun they're out there in their suits just shooting guns at really big targets up close and like six people are taking it seriously and everybody else is like this is great i love when i'm watching a competition and i i don't see very many tryhards like there are a few tryhards here and there and you're just like how are you even there what what why do you you showed up to hate life and come in third and it's like good for you but the guy who's coming in 22nd he's having a great time first off saying that you showed up to hate your life and come in third please stop personally attacking me like that that hurts me i'm like wait a minute you've been reading my dream journal again fine i'll give next year god damn it but no that is uh before we wrap this episode up i will say that is the wonderful thing about cowboy action shooting is that at the national championship level yes there are people who are seriously there to win it matters there's sponsorships there's prizes on the line but the other 300 people are there to you know dress up as shoot guns they think they're cool and if you don't have a place in your heart for that you are not my kind of people no you gotta have fun with this if you don't like you're going to hate this job just as much anything else. You have to have fun with oh, this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are days where this, where this job is difficult for sure, but also at the end of the day, I am getting paid right now to talk about guns. So hard to hate on that. Really hard to hate on that. And I think with that, we will wrap up the first episode of Gun Day Brunch. Awesome. I'm Keith. I'm Caleb. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>